Solomon became the son-in-law of Pharaoh, Egypt's king, when he married Pharaoh's daughter. He brought her to David's city until he finished building his royal palace, the Lord's temple, and the wall around Jerusalem. Unfortunately, the people were sacrificing at the shrines because a temple hadn't yet been built for the Lord's name in those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the laws of his father David, with the exception that he also sacrificed and burned incense at the shrines. The king went to the great shrine at Gibeon and ordered a sacrifice there. He used to offer a thousand entirely burned offerings on that altar. The Lord appeared to Solomon at Gibeon in a dream at night. God said, ask whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. Solomon responded, you showed so much kindness to your servant, my father David, when he walked before you in truth, righteousness, and with a heart true to you. You've kept this great loyalty and kindness for him and have now given him a son to sit on his throne. And now, Lord, my God, you have made me your servant, king in my father David's place. But I'm young and inexperienced. I know next to nothing. But I'm here, your servant, in the middle of the people you have chosen, a large population that can't be numbered or counted due to its vast size. Please give your servant a discerning mind in order to govern your people and to distinguish good from evil because no one is able to govern this important people of yours without your help. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had made this request. God said to him, because you have asked for this instead of requesting long life, wealth, or victory over your enemies, asking for discernment so as to acquire good judgment, I will now do just what you said. Look, I hereby give you a wise and understanding mind. There has been no one like you before now, nor will there be anyone like you afterward. I now also give you what you didn't ask for, wealth and fame. There won't be a king like you as long as you live. This is the word of the Lord. Man, I used to play that game. You know the wishing game? You'd say to your friends, okay, if you could have anything in the whole world, anything you wanted, what would you wish for? But you cannot wish for more wishes. That's breaking the rules. I remember I would think really long and hard about this because I wanted to figure out what was the one thing I could wish for that A, wouldn't backfire on me, and B, might accomplish the most good in my life. It's evolved over time. When I was really young, number one on my list was that I wished that my freckles would magically disappear. These days, freckles are cool, which I'm really grateful for, but when I was young, not so much. As I got older, I found myself wishing periodically for things like maybe this boy or that boy might like me too. And then, one of the wishes that I've had over time, I still wish this actually, is that chocolate ice cream counted as a vegetable. <laughs> I googled top wishes the other day, and the top 10 are much of what you might expect. Things like good health, love, long life, fame, 
to be attractive. I wished for a lot of these things over time. Wealth was definitely among the top 10. Wisdom wasn't on the list at all. But for Solomon, it was the very first thing that came to mind for him. In that very first instant, without any hesitation, he thought, wisdom, that's what I need. God, please give me a discerning mind. You have called me to lead your people. I mean, there's more people here than anyone could possibly count, a massive nation, and I don't have any idea what I'm doing. Please, I know I can't do this without you, God. Please give me wisdom. Specifically, Solomon wanted wisdom so that he could lead God's people into deeper faithfulness. And he also wanted to know the difference between good and evil. I get it. I can relate to that. In the past several months, I have prayed this same prayer many times. I desperately want to provide good leadership to the people of Westlake United Methodist Church. I want to lead us to greater faithfulness. And I know I have no idea what I'm doing. It's a good answer. God apparently really liked it. I suspect because biblically speaking, to seek wisdom is to seek access to the heart and mind of God. To seek wisdom is to desire deeper intimacy or a more connected relationship with God. Wisdom's not simply the accumulation of knowledge, and it's not just a shrewd mind, one that can outmaneuver an opponent. It's not just being smart or having a wealth of experience. For example, today, we know more than we have ever known before about nutrition and exercise. Yet we are the most overweight generation in history. What's that about? Another example, we now have instant access to more information than we ever have before. Yet without a discerning mind, all that information can be dangerous. How many of you have lain awake all night long planning your own funeral because you just diagnosed yourself using the internet? I know from personal experience that is not a wise thing to do. Proverbs says that the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. The word translated here as fear can also be translated as respect or reverent awe. Ellen Davis is an author and a professor at Duke University of Bible and Practical Theology, and she says that this kind of fear leads to humility. Or as she puts it, it's the deeply sane recognition that we are not God. It's a point that's well made throughout scripture. God makes it crystal clear from the very beginning. If you remember in Genesis, we learn that everything that exists, everything that is, is created by God, including us. So the beginning of wisdom is having the right attitude toward God the correct posture, a posture that authentically seeks and earnestly desires God in all things and is open to what God would reveal. Solomon had this attitude. 
He said, show me, God. Show me the difference between good and evil. Show me how to lead. He realizes that what he needs more than anything else, more than fame, more than fortune, more than victory over his enemies, even money, is wisdom. Because wisdom is the revelation of God. The revelation of God's heart and mind to us. Wisdom is a light that shines on all our experience and all of our knowledge, and it illumines how best to act on that experience and knowledge, how to live faithfully into God's desires for our lives, how to live into God's way forward. We'd all benefit from God's wisdom. In fact, like Solomon, I believe that we need wisdom more than anything else in this world. Jesus knew this. He drew on the wisdom tradition all the time, especially in his parables. If you remember the parable of the wise and foolish builders, remember there were two builders, one of them who built his home on the surface where the sand was, and when the wind and the rain came, his house just fell down, blew apart. The other builder, the wise builder, dug down deep and laid the foundation of his home on the rock. And when the wind and the rain, rain came, it couldn't destroy his home. The person who seeks wisdom is like the wise builder who grounds their faith solidly and deeply in the heart of God. John Wesley, the father of Methodism, was a very wise man. He was firmly grounded in God. One of the things that he did in his efforts to revive the church was he went outside the church to preach to people where they were, people who no longer came to worship because they either didn't feel welcome or because they couldn't. They had work to do. Mostly the poor and working class were the ones that he went out and preached to, and as he preached to them, he noticed that their desire to be faithful in all things grew. In particular, they wanted to grow in their faithfulness around how they handled money, but they faced a lot of challenges. Most of them didn't make very much money. Very few of them had ever been taught how to manage money. So Wesley preached a sermon. It's become one of his most famous sermons. It's titled, On the Use of Money. And in it, he lays out three rules for money. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And this is the thing that was really interesting about the sermon that he wrote and preached. He did not preach this sermon for the purpose of raising money for the church. Wesley's goal in preaching this sermon was to help people, to teach the people he was preaching to how to manage their money in ways that were faithful to their commitment to Christ. That's true of this worship series, too. Our primary focus is not to raise money for the church, but to grow in our own discipleship and our own faithfulness about how it is that we're going to relate to money based on who we understand ourselves to be as Christians. Which means that we are going to talk about money, 
which can be awkward. I know money feels like a four-letter word, especially when you talk about it in church. It is awkward. I mean, even in our culture, it's not polite to talk about money. We don't tell each other how much money we make. We don't tell each other how much debt we carry or what we pay for our shoes or our cars or our homes. But despite how it feels, money is not a four-letter word. It's not inappropriate or heretical to talk about it, even in the church. Jesus talked about money more than anything else in his ministry, with the exception of the kingdom of God. I sometimes wonder if that's why the whole church at church council and charge conference get to vote on my compensation. That's not awkward at all. But I want you all to listen to this. As Wesley began to preach this sermon, as he began to teach the people that he was reaching out to about the faithful understanding and relationship to and use of money, these Methodists began to accumulate wealth. They began to understand better how to leverage the resources that they had and ultimately position themselves so they could be more and more generous. So we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about Wesley's three rules. And on the final Sunday, on November 12th, you're going to be invited to bring forward in worship your financial commitment to this church for 2018. I hope that you'll try to be here every week. The three rules build on one another, so it's important to hear all of the messages if you can. And if you're able, participate in one of the small group studies. There are many Sunday school classes that have chosen to study Earn, Save, Give alongside the sermon series. If your Sunday school is not one of those classes, you could choose to join one of the classes for these next four weeks that is, or you could join Pastor Lisa starting this afternoon at 4 p.m. as she does um, a separate small group that will be studying this series. I'd also like for you during this time to commit to discussing the sermons and the studies with your friends and with your family, and to spend some time each day in prayer. This coming week, if you haven't received it already, you should receive something in the mail from the church. In it, you're going to find in narrative format the story of how Westlake United Methodist Church is in mission and ministry. It's my hope that you're going to learn something that you didn't know before about how the work of this church is changing people's lives, how it's changing the world. You'll also read about what hopes and dreams this church has for its ministries and missions in the coming year. In it, you'll find a commitment card. I hope you'll begin to pray over it, asking God for wisdom and how you might grow in your generosity, how your generosity can support the work of this church. Ask God to give you wisdom on the use of money. When you came in today, hopefully you received one of these little cards. If you have it, would you please read it aloud with me now? It's uh, from Proverbs 3. Happy are those who find wisdom and those who get understanding, for her income is better than silver and her revenue better than gold. She is more precious than jewels 
and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Take this with you and use it as you pray in the coming week. As you leave today, you're gonna to receive one of these tea lights. It's my hope that as you open in prayer each day with this psalm, you would light this candle as a reminder that wisdom is a light that illumines all that we know and all that we've experienced and all that we have, showing us, revealing to us how it is that God would have us use all of those experiences and things. We're promised in the book of James that anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, whose very nature is to give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score, and wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. As we begin this journey together, I hope we would all remember that like King Solomon, like John Wesley, more than anything else, what we need is wisdom. The wisdom that only comes from deep discernment, an intimate relationship with God. Amen. <laughs>